Welcome to the Property Developers and Investors podcast, where we explore the detail of what it really takes to achieve great success in the business of property developments and investments. Now let's get into this week's episode. And a very warm welcome to the Property Developers and Investors podcast. Um, my name is Nigel Green from the Equa Academy, and I'm absolutely delighted today to have with me Mr. Ken Gorman. How are you doing, Ken? Very good. Very good. How are you? Yes, I'm all right. Thank you. All right. The jumpers have come out. It's that time of year and all the rest of it. But, uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> very good. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's, it's an absolute uh, ple- pleasure and privilege to have you here to explore the journey of mergers and acquisitions, which is going to be absolutely amazing. But uh, I think for the for the listeners, um, would you mind just introducing yourself and maybe give a bit, bit about your background, if that's okay? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, um, um, uh, I, I work for, I'm a merger and acquisition specialist. I basically help people, um, sell businesses and primarily people that are retiring is sometimes I call myself a retirement consultant, because uh, people, you know, getting next to getting married and having kids, selling a business is the biggest thing a lot of people do. And, and we help them take that journey. Um, and um, I work for a company called Transworld, who's the largest in the world in the small business space, about 250 offices, about a billion and a half, I guess, in enterprise value every year. I run the Guilford office with my team. And um, my background, I was a software guy for 30 years. I was a chartered account with Ernst & Young. And in this job, I'm also a certified business valuer and, and uh, M&A advisor. So, um, um, yeah, that's, that's what led me here. And I spent all, all of my day helping people that are looking to uh, make that life transition and sell their business. Mm. Absolutely. And, you know, and that helping people, it, it must give give you a lot of satisfaction, <clears throat> you know, to, to enable a conclusion of a business, somebody retiring, somebody, you know, passing passing the opportunity on to somebody new, these sort of things, those legacies being continued must be you know, very satisfying as you kind of go through them, albeit I'm sure it takes quite a long time to get through those acquisitions in the first place, but very satisfying nonetheless. Um, I, w- I was just wondering, maybe you could tell us why you chose business acquisitions as your your vehicle to wealth and success? Um, yeah, um, I, I, th- I, um, I think what you just said there is, is incredibly accurate. This, this is very, unlike any other thing, you know, like, like a car or a house or anything like that, that's a fixed asset. A business is a living, breathing thing. And, and, and what I also find with the, the, my clients, that my clients are the, the, the business owners that have generally owned something 10, 20 years and uh, they care as much about their people in the business and, and that they get their future continued and all that. And we also have to care a lot about who's ever going to be the new owner of the business. I actually don't like the term buyer because it's it's a bit like um, I always say that we're project managing a wedding, but you don't want your your daughter's guy to be a good groom, you know, being good at weddings, you want him to be a good husband, right? So what we really want is good owners, you know, of businesses. And so the whole, so it's, so it's about matching these two together. So the whole thing becomes, um, um, very, very people oriented. And, and I, it's funny, I was just at a conference and I was saying, you know, I've decided that most people think merger and acquisitions is 75% head and 25% heart. I've decided it's really 75% heart and 25% 
head. And a couple of the guys that have similar experiences to me said, Ken, you must be joking. It's 90% heart and 10% head. I said, I know, I know, but no one would believe that. So I'm going with that. So it's it's all about the, the human condition with this. So you're absolutely right. So to, sorry, long-winded way of answering your question. This suited m- my way of contributing back to the community and actually being useful and um, and something I could be inspired on because I think we are it's it's actually quite complicated to get deals over the line. And so we have specialist knowledge that's very helpful at a critical juncture uh, for people. Um, so there was that. I also think I had a finance background being a chartered accountant and stuff. There There is the head part. There There is the numbers. You know, you, you, it's all about the holiday and the experience of the holiday and all that. But there's a moment where you have to calculate that you can afford the holiday and you have the days off, you know, with everything, even with lots of heart, there's a, there's a, there's math that goes with it. And if you understand that it, it makes it easier and it kind of integrates so that, so it fit my, um, fit my uh, sort of personality and what I wanted to do. So that's how I got here. That's amazing. That's amazing. And and you're right. I can imagine the the chemistry of the new buyer, you know, the the new owner and uh, you know, the exiting owner is, is quite key as well make sure that match is very similar you you can't have polar opposites that's going to create a an elongated transition isn't it but uh, you know it's, it's it's one of the factors needs to be considered for sure well it, it ironically it's the most important factor it, we call it cultural fit is the technical term but um the most important thing i do is uh is make sure the buyer is will be a good owner for the business and the very first thing we do is have a zoom call uh, where they meet each other and in 45, we call it the first date. So I would say we're a dating agency in the beginning, like match.com. We're big. So I have a buyer search team in London and we, they, they do 5,000 reach outs a week. And we, we have the same thing in the U S and all. So they, they do the volume work. It's quite tedious actually, but finding who might be interested, but then it pops out and then it pops to me and my team and they meet my client and, and not in volume, the client alone will ever meet five or six people because we've done such a qualification stream. And, and I can tell in 45 minutes if there's chemistry. And, and the reason that's important is the, the owner tends to have the chemistry of the whole business because he's, these are his people. And you, and you can see if there, if it makes sense that, you know, the, uh, the, the, the buyer would, would be wanting this business, you know, the, and a lot of things have to line up. He has to have a good reason why probably has been in the sector. There's geographic reasons. There's, you know, his, his life reasons. There's also a financial backing to that. Although we tend to be able to build deal structures behind what I call desire, good fit. If the people like each other, and if my client says to me, I want, I think I really see that guy owning my business. And and the guy, the 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 buyer says, I really, really love this. This is this suits me. That energy of wanting, we can almost build anything we want behind that. So that the head really does come second. So so that finding that and the other thing is everyone gets, you know, in a business sale, typically the the seller's only getting the um, 60% of their money, 70% of their money on closing day, and they're getting deferred payments. Now, this is debt. Uh, I would say deferred and debt both have a D, so it's a way to remember it. But but as always, all the stories of people not getting their deferred payments after the fact, because what they really are is a distribution of future profit. Mm-hmm. And, and so we have lots of legal ways of locking those in. But if the business doesn't do well, the, mm-hmm. the future profit isn't there to distribute. So I always say to people, the 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 most guaranteed way of getting your deferred payments is by getting a good buyer in the first place. And 
And so it's, it's, so there's also a mathematical financial aspect to this, as well as uh, my people are going to be taken care of aspect. My baby is going to go to the next level aspect. I can stand to spend the next four months of a process that Transworld is going to run with, mm-hmm. and still like this guy at the end. I always say, you know, we're, one of my main goals is to make sure people are friends at the end because trust closes deals, you know, and uh, that's what we say project managing a wedding. It has those dynamics to it. You got two sides. We try not to use the N-word, you know, negotiation. We don't negotiate because that creates energy. We talk about fair deals and, and and fair structures and things like that. So no no one party's taken advantage of and things like that. These are all the things. There's a 75% failure rate in our industry from heads of terms to actually getting to the closing table. One in four make it, three out of four fail. My hit rate's more like 60% make it. So we were because we, we only get paid at the end. Transworld doesn't allow us to take a pound until the deal is done. Um, and so you get you get good at it. But the, the main thing is getting the right people in the first place. So that aspect of getting the right buyer um, for or new owner for the business is everything. It's 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 yeah. yeah and the and the seller's got to be convinced, you know, they're they're backing that buyer. That's right. Because as you say, they're they're putting it all on red that they're going to get their deferred payments yeah. in due course, and then they need this person to be able to energize the business and take it to a different level, which is huge. Yeah, huge thing. That's right. Yeah, I, I was just wondering whether you could maybe tell us about in, in your current business, maybe some of the key milestones, maybe achievements in your business journey thus far. Um, I think um, the. One of them is actually surviving. <laughs> um, the um, it takes. This is a hard job that we do. Um, it's very multidimensional and a lot of moving parts. And um, uh, Transworld has a really good training program. And uh, and um, we kind of bought into a region as the way the model works. But you go to the U.S. and get training, and then you there's more training and more training. And, but the the they. Um, there's this thing called the International Business Brokers Association, and they have all this really great training that a lot of the older, very wise old men do that have been in this 20, 30 years. And a few of them, I remember watching the videos saying uh, that someone doesn't really get to understand this, how to do this job for about two years. It's a two year process. It's, it's very long. And, um, and you generally are older in the first place and all that. And so there, it's very hard to get into it. Um, and so survival, you know, making it for two years was, was, was important. I mean, it sounds odd, but so you, you get in and then, and then, um, we, we started doing larger transactions, uh, transfer is we, we operate in the small business space. So everything under about 20 million enterprise value, that'd be about 40, 50 million in sales all the way down to, you know, a million pound enterprise value. You know, which which could be a company with eight employees with three hundred thousand profit a year. You know, would be a million pounds enterprise. So we operate in that range. So it's the smaller businesses. We're not doing. So that's why it's so people oriented. When you get the bigger companies, it gets more clinical. You get boards of directors instead of owners. You got lots of professionals with spreadsheets and and, and all that. Anyway, um, and um, so. Um, so you try within that, you start with, with lots of small companies and you start doing larger projects. And, and I remember when we did our first 20 million pound project and, and that was a milestone, but, but more important because we did it with private equity. And so it was when we went from just selling to regular buyers to actually working. the private equity guys are the gold standard and the real pros, all of them very smart to be exist in that world and uh, really good guys as well. That's the, the funny thing. That's why they're successful is they know how to build the rapport and all that. 
And, um, and so I think, I think, um, you know, doing stuff with private equity has taught us a lot about what the, the best practices are. And then, then we're able to go for, we do a lot of non-private equity stuff. And so I spend a lot of my time with people that are going to be good owners that aren't really good at buying companies. So imagine I'm representing my seller and there's a, there's a, there's a buyer who's going to be a good owner, but he doesn't really know how to do this process either. Cause, cause it doesn't, you know, he hasn't done it for two years. Remember two years before you get good at it. And, mm-hmm. um, that's why I wrote the second book. I wrote the first book, uh, How to Sell Your Business for My Sellers. And, and I wrote it in a couple of weeks. Everyone says, how did you do that so fast? I just wrote what I say every day. It was easy. And um, and then I wrote the, a year later the one for buyers because I found I was doing the same thing with buyers that didn't understand all the nuances and all the thing. And so so we so this is um, so I think, you know, the, the books were milestones as well, going, wow, you have, you have subject matter knowledge, but you also learn you're learning in this job all the time. It's a hard job and there's always mistakes we're making. I think I've done it for 12,000 hours and I would say we have 12,000 hours of mistakes, but we've learned and you don't have to make them if you work with us because we'll, we've learned, I'm sure we'll make others, but. I've got a book, a book here of yours, Ken, which is the oh, yeah. selling your business. Um, yeah. By your good self, which I have to say is a, an absolute superb read. I think available on Amazon, which is which is great. Yep. And I think you've got another one as well, haven't you? Yes, we've got um, buying a small business in the UK for buyers. Great. I'm so, going to um, and available just, on Amazon, is it? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll be yeah. I'll be straight there after this uh, after this recording. <laughs> yeah, it's they're 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 and then we've got a we've got a a YouTube channel called at Business Basics UK, um, and we try and post three times a week on different topics yeah. for people that are interested. We're just trying to share our knowledge with the community and stuff on on. There's so many different topics, but and the books are there as an introductory text for people that are new to this. Yeah. Um, if you, if people have been in it, they'll seem a bit simplistic, but for people that haven't seen it at all, that's, that was the idea as an introduction. So and it just gives you a different way, doesn't it? You know, it's a different way. It gives you, introduces you to a, a different technique of, you know, securing businesses. I mean, we, we, we dabble around in development and property, but this is just a, an alternative to that, isn't it? For sure. Yeah. For sure. No, um, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, it's, um, the, the dynamics between buying businesses and buying property are very different. Um, most private equity firms will insist that property is demerged out of the business, out of the operating company, and, yep. and they only focus because the the equity structures and the, the whole model is completely different. Because it in a in a business you're buying the future cash flow and you have the people and all that, and they have a way of capitalizing it. And then property is capitalized, of course, very differently. So these are these are. Um, these are different animals. Uh, the, and I guess with the business, you have, you have to be willing to be an owner. Um, the, the idea of um, being a passive investor at this level is, is pretty much non-existent. There's a lot of courses in theory that teach you to do that. It's, uh, you know, I would, I would be careful of that. We, I, I wish it were true and I would be happy to help people do it. It just doesn't work because you, what you have is, is an X factor leader who's built that company and not not manager leader he's led it through covid he's led it you know through different different cycles and when he leaves there's a vacuum and something needs to come in and fill that vacuum at least temporarily and you can't hire from outside to do that it has to be someone who's either bought the business 
or someone who's bought the business and is going to build a very strong board, for example. That's how private equity does it with a non-exec chairman and a CFO and stuff. But that void has to be filled. So the idea of just coming on at, at a small business level, most people that do it successfully are, are we call them, uh, they're willing to be operators. They're willing to th- th- at least take, be very active board members, let's put it that way, at the very least, you know, and, and involved. So. Um, so that's where versus property, you can actually do that passively. You can buy a buy to let and let it out and let an agent do it. And, and that all works and stuff. But this, this, you have to be a lot more involved. You have to roll your sleeves up, don't you? And get stuck yes. in. And really, yeah. really maybe that you've just secured and, and take it to that next level as well. And it, yeah, there's always that potential of bringing maybe a, somebody else up and in. Um, but I think initially for that period of transition, it's got to be, got to put the buyer yeah, absolutely. And um, now it's it's um, it, if you get it right, it's very profitable. You know, you can, you know, you get a a two million pound business. That's that's typically something that's got five hundred thousand pounds of of you know we we say EBITDA, say pre tax profit, driving a two million valuation. You know, you can get a you can get a cash flow lend um, if you have if maybe you have three hundred thousand to put into it. You get a cash flow lend for the rest of the closing payment, yep. and uh, maybe that has a, a refinancing option called a bullet on the end of it. But but you've only put three hundred grand into it. Mm. If you can manage to keep that business alive for five years, and and um, and uh, the the deferred payments to the owner are paid, and the bank is paid because typically cash flow lends are over five or six years. Um, now you're free and clear and you have a 2 million pound asset. Granted, you put a five years worth of work into it. Um, but you initially, your initial investment was only 300,000. So the return was good. It, it, it's, it's, it's risk money because, you know, you, you have to be able to run that thing. It's, it's not like property where, you know, that property is always going to be there and have a value. If you, if you, if the business tanks and doesn't have any, but, but if you make it, if, if you're able to do that, and this is, this is the game private. Now private equity would take over that five years would take that 2 million valuation and three is the number they normally work off of and, and move that up to six. And that's hard. They're very picky about what they choose and they've got a whole process, but suddenly now they, and they, and they, they put in a lot more than 300, but it, it, this is the math. So it's if done well, it, it's, it's very lucrative, it, but it's bloody hard work and you really have to know what you're doing. Um, but um, but it's a, it's a good investment vehicle for people, especially if you're in a sector that you know and and you wanna and you want some freedom and things. But Absolutely. anyway, and you know to step through that turnover and profit barrier, you know your, your multiples can increase as well, can't? Yeah, you bet. Yeah, yeah, you take that five hundred to a million. Mm-hmm. Now we're not at a four multiple anymore. We're probably at a five or a six. It's called M and A arbitrage and. Then now you can go to maybe acquire other companies at a lower multiple, and now the revenues at a higher multiple, and it's all kind. It can be very profitable, right. um, uh, done well. It's it's a good sector. the The trick is you have to be willing to to work in it. You 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 it can't be this thing called passive income is really not a thing, um, unless you're unless you're giving your money to a private equity firm, letting them do it. But if you're going to be the owner, mm. you got to be willing to be engaged at least for a while. You know, uh, in leader, in what I call leadership, not management. Management, you should have. You're not getting on the no. floor serving burgers. It's but you got to You got to be willing to, you know, to be knowing where the next shop is going to come from, and you know, supervise the managers and provide some leadership and vision and all that kind of stuff. The leadership stuff. Right. But, yeah, I mean, we, we all know that things don't always go to plan, and 
just wondering whether you could take us through something that you've encountered unexpectedly in your business um, and how you overcame, you overcame that challenge. Um, so for us, um, they always, I remember when I was in my training, they, uh, this is what's one of the great, greatest skills to have in doing the job I'm in, and it's being a problem solver. Or they, I think they use MacGyver, if anybody remembers the MacGyver series. But um, um, we we just hit one, you know, uh, unexpected event after another. You know, when you're getting, you think you have a deal done, and and um, and, and things pop out. I had I had a um, six million pound deal with private equity, and we, we, the deal was almost done. Like after like three and a half months of DD and contracts, and I mean full on, and uh, we were ready to sign in, in the. They, you have different due diligence streams and they had a, a tax due diligence stream that's done by a special set of uh, tax auditing people that, that were working in the background and everybody kind of forgot about them. And we're three days away from signing this and up pops their report. And this, this is a, this is a maintenance company and Hey, I had 60 vans. And, um, and of course the, the vans all had to be on site by seven in the morning so people drove the vans home. They didn't use them for personal, but they drove the vans home and kept the keys at home so they could go off. Well, apparently that decided that they those were not company vans. Those were benefit and kind vans. And the tax exposure was, they calculated up to $1.5 million on a wow. $6 million deal. <laughs> we were so it's things like this that happen. Now everybody huddled around and got, you know, decided what to do and took a view and, and had about four day, incredibly stressful days. And we came up and, and reduced that down to um, that. He was going to have to absorb 80,000 and the private equity firm would absorb the risk for the rest. But, but we get a lot of stuff like that um, where you, you just have to find creative ways around problems. Um, uh, a lot of them are around key people in the business. If you get key people that don't want to take the journey, okay. um, that's an, almost impossible because the people are the business and it's, it's having to, it's, it's knowing how to solve those. And I think, um, uh, but all, all kinds of things, um, mm -hmm. pop up regulatory, you know, um, yeah. And you just, you have to be prepared for that. And it's, it, it's part of that. You can think it looks like smooth sailing. And I, I always tell people there's always two or three, you know, oh dear moments in every deal where you just, you out of the woodwork, you didn't expect it. So you never there to get to the finish line. No, no, I had, a, I had a, um, another 18 million pound deal in 18 months, hard, hardcore due diligence, private equity, lots of stuff. And uh, I won't go into the detail here, but in a bit of a tussle over the enterprise value that, that extended it out by months, finally got their contracts done and we were a week away from signing and their largest customer went out to, didn't know this was going on and went out to tender. Mm. Oh. <laughs> and that was the end of that. I mean, funny enough, they, they won it through four months later, but, but you, the, the, the air goes out of the balloon and, 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 and everything. So yeah, 18 million gone and, and it must've been 600,000 pounds in costs, oh, you know, right. out the window. It's it all because, but it shows you um, in our business, you, you, you want to move as fast as you can because the, the stuff happens in business. And yeah. so if, if you, if you want the business that you think you're buying not to change too much, you don't want to wait a year and a half. 
you know, and, and so, so stuff happens. Yeah. And, and you just, um, the faster you go, the less things that can happen because, you know, time's not marching on yeah. where things unravel or there's a war or there's a COVID or there's a, you know, whatever you, you've kind of got the business you saw, let's get this thing closed and over and then we can carry on. But so we always say, uh, deals are like smelly fish. The longer they go, <laughs> the less your chances of getting there. Anyway, that's another thing. But. Very good. I, I bet this is a really difficult one to answer, but what's, what's your typical uh, tenant for doing a deal, and what's the typical size of deal that you do? What was the first question? Sorry, the, the length it takes to do the diligence and get it over. Okay, so 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 here's the thing. Um, for, first of all, you have if you say to me how long from the time you start working with me till the the average time that I get to leave, like like we're signing the contracts, and we always say. 12 months. Sometimes we say nine months. I don't know. I've had two and a half years. That was during COVID because the COVID slowed things down. But I've been, you know, we, we stick with people can take a long time, but that 12 months is probably a good number overall. Um, now remember there's a, there's a big failure rate, right? And so it depends how many of those you have. If you have none of them, if we go to market, and you have that the type of business that private equity wants, and three or four of them are willing to bid. Remember, these guys they do this for a living, so there's there's an efficiency, you know, uh, to it. And say we get, you know, within a month, we get a couple offers, and you know, and and bang, we're in due diligence. And now the, the private equity guys, if it was PE, have have a bigger lift because they're FCA regulated and all that. They have to do more DD, but we're still good at it. They're still going to take two to three months to get through DD and a couple months to get through contracts. So it's still going to be five months. So in theory, from the time you came to me to the time we're closing a deal with private equity, you could be looking at five or six months. Now, what happens is you're halfway through that process. And for some reason, it doesn't happen. And so we have to go to the next one. And there's lots of reasons for that. There's nothing to do with my client. It could be the, the buyer has a financial issue, it, it, lots of things. But but we have to start over. You don't really start from the beginning again. You kind of start from where you left off because you've now filled up all the virtual data rooms. You've worked out a lot of the how we're going to do stuff. You, you've been presented with, oh, gosh, they've got this. How are we going to, you know, how do we approach that? You, you've done all the financial analysis, all that. So you, so you might you might only add another couple months to that, um, but but if you you know if that happens once or twice, that, you know then it's elongated out. It can be that you go to market and you go in July and it's summertime, and and so by the time everybody gets around to having the meetings, and then you want to meet the key people, and then you want to meet on site in person, yeah. that can take two months. And, you know, you can know it's good that it's perfect fit and all that, but it's two months before the right before we even get into talking. So, you know, and, and, the, and the Christmas period operates the same way. So all of these things elongate because um, um, there's so damn many people involved, mm. you know, and then, you know, especially when you're in the intense part of a deal, the contracts and one of the lawyers goes on holiday, you know, and yes, he leaves his guy that's covering for him, but he's he's in the weeds with you and he's gone for a week. He comes back and my my owner goes for two weeks and then he comes back and the, and then so all these things add time and and so this is this is what happens so in theory you can get a deal done 
in four months or something like that with, with say, with a bigger firm. You can get them done faster if they're smaller. The reality is by the time all this stuff plays out, we normally budget, you know, about a year if we're going to get this done pre to closing. It's, it's not a, I, so hopefully that's a, that's my stab at an answer. Yeah, right no, that's yeah. good. Yeah. And a bit of qualification there as well, which is obviously all very logical. It depends, doesn't it? It depends on the... All the parties involved and the questions and the availability yeah. and all the rest of it. So I totally get that. I mean, what sort of lessons have you you learned along the way? In the business um, so a few things. Um, one is what blows all my clients. Most of my clients are retiring, so they've been successful. Most of my clients are, are quite wealthy, relatively. You know, um, uh, you know, if you've been making seven, eight hundred thousand in profit for the last 10, 15 years. You know what I mean? It accumulates. And so they have property assets and stuff. And and um and but so it's a certain kind of person. And what what amazes me about them is that they all almost all of them care deeply about the people around them. Mm. Um and and it makes sense because those people are the ones that help them build the business. The other thing that, that's amazed me in this job that I didn't expect was how incredibly fair-minded um, and honest 95% of them are. And, and so I'm seeing all these commonalities that you think, oh, those people that are the what, successful ones, they're, they're ruthless and they're this. No, no, they're the fair-minded ones. They're the ones with good personalities. They're the ones that care about people. And they all care deeply about their customers. Um, and they've all worked their butt off to get where they are. All of them, have, have, it's really hard to take that journey. And um, so, you, so it's a really good class. I feel very privileged to do this job. It's a really good class of people that, that forms the basis of our economy in this country. Honest, hardworking, caring about people. And yeah, they've made some money, but but it's it's been through hard work. It's not you know for doing something the community needs and stuff. That's been amazing to me to 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 find that. And so I so it motivates me to want to serve these people and help them with this particular life transition and stuff. Um, and, uh, the other thing I've learned is, I guess what I've, we've been talking about, that this is a people deal. Um, and I've learned to treat it like a wedding and, and get rid of the idea of negotiating and being clever and think, of course I'm protecting my client that goes without saying, but, but if I were, if the groom hired me, I would make sure that the groom's side was protected, but I wouldn't do it at the expense of the bride because we might not have a wedding in the end because they could, or it may not be a very happy one. And so it's you, it's it's this job is creating this this balance uh, to to uh, to help these two parties get to the end and not make mistakes that cause them to be a statistic and, yeah. and how important that is that that they, the understanding that this owner buyer thing and how important that is I think um, and 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 doing things in a fair and honest way you know in my books I have two whole chapters on be honest be everybody's going to find out everything anyway because we're 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 going to spend a lot of time together. And um, so things like that, I think it, I wouldn't have expected this. I would have thought it was much more ruthless, uh, cutthroat, you know, so, you know, when you think about groups of business owners and it's like, oh my gosh, these are the really good people. And if you do, they're also really smart and really people savvy. And if you're not honest and straightforward, they spot it in in a second. And so you gotta be, you know, come with pure of heart and they'll, they'll see that. And if you're not, they'll see that straight away and they'll eject from the process. What if I wasn't like that, they would, they would cease to want us to, to uh, work with them. So that's, that's been interesting for me. And it it comes back to that, you know, 75 or is it 95% of the heart, you know, and it's been, 
genuine and you know being that people person is to yeah it's dating agency and make it very successful it's, it's a massive factor isn't it and yeah that, that's yeah, right it kind of comes there after doesn't it but it's, it's matching those people it's, it's hugely important for sure well and then managing their relationship as they get to know each other through our process because yeah. it takes time yeah. You know, uh, for people to learn to trust each other, both both are generally new to the pro unless they're private equity, but the, the new to the process and they have to learn. They have to put their biases because they're always come the same bias as I had. I need to be threatened by this. Somebody's going to take advantage of me if I don't protect and they need to get the drop their barriers and, and, and see this is really about good. Getting to know people and seeing what's really going on on both sides, and um, working in a transparent way. If you don't do that, you just don't get to the end. Not very often. So, very powerful that can. I was just wondering what your plans are for the future. Um, we, um, uh, we keep. You know, we we keep. I guess we're we're getting. Um, more of a more clients that are are in our sweet spot i don't know how else to put that you know um and, and that's very rewarding you know a, a slightly larger um and I, I have my team that's getting much better and better at this since our capacity to handle more work uh we're getting much better known uh so we're getting people coming to us um, and, uh, and so, you know, our, our portfolio gets bigger and that's how we build our business, you know, is, is through having more projects to work on and things like that. And, and, um, you know, the leverage factor is good. Um, we continue to want to, you know, write the books. We're going to be coming up with a, um, out with a, uh, an online training course for, uh, M&A professionals kind of along the same lines, um, you know, just building community around, the, you know, this particular, ta- this, you know, area and things like that. Um, Transworld continues to grow in the in the UK big time. You know, um, we think we think we're people tell us we're the good guys. There's a lot of people doing what we're doing, charging ten grand upfront fees and not really doing the work and stuff like that. And and uh, um, so we're actually generally helping people, and we want that to be what this sector is rather than people feeling like they got ripped off, gave their money away and no one helped sell their business. Uh, you know, that, that we're, we're trying to change the culture in this country a little bit. Absolutely. So mm. with that as your driver, you know, we're just going to get out and, you know, you're going to get so many more clients as well, which will grow your business ultimately. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The clients grow the business. That's right. That's what it's really about. Yeah. You bet. Mm. Very good. A, a couple of years ago, um, Mark Stokes, who you know, he asked me to participate in a, a book writing called "Advice to Yourself," and um, it was it was a, I, I was a chapter, I wrote a chapter in that book, and it was kind of if if my younger self was coming through, what advice I might give um, him <laughs> based upon the knowledge I've, I've gained over the, the many years um, uh, that I've had in business property, in my case. I was just wondering whether I could turn that question and maybe if you could give your younger self maybe one piece of advice, what it would be. Hmm, that's a great question. Um, well, I, a couple of things. I I do think you should never look back and have regrets, I don't think. But but if, if I had to do that and had a chance, I would have liked to got into this sector 
10 years earlier than I did. Although it is better to be older because the clientele is typically 60 plus. So, um, and, um, and I would have also told my younger self to find a way to rather than work for people to um, which I always did in the software sector. You know, I always had CEOs and I was part of the machine, um, even though I was running Europe, but I had the skills to run my own business or, or be involved with that. And, and I think I'd wish I had done that earlier that, that you, 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 you can, if you have the right skills and right inclination, it's very possible to ru- to run your own show. Uh, it, it's, it's hard and you need help. And there is a lot of help and support out there. Um, but you, if you're good at something, you can do that. And, and, and then you, you can be a business owner and be making the returns and, you know, that, that, that these business owners are making. And I, and I wish I'd understood that in my mid thirties, I think. Um, but uh, so it would be that piece of advice is, you know, find a way to run, run your own thing. You don't have to work for, for the CEO for forever, you know, so. And then lots of money. And, and it is, it's kind of scary, isn't it? You know, you can imagine as you're coming through the ranks, you know, to, to take that leap of faith from what is kind of employment, you know, into the entrepreneurship of your own yeah. business. But the fact of the matter is when you do that transition, you think, oh, I should have done this earlier. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah. That leap of faith. That's right. When and is employment that secure anymore? You know, I found my my kids to oh, I need a secure job, and I'm like, look at the last three jobs you had. Exactly how secure, <laughs> you know, were they? You know, and um, so uh, yeah, that's right. And and if if you're going to do customer service work, particularly, um, the only security you have is is paying customers. And if and if you're able to do something where you can get customers to pay you and you're directly responsible for not only the customer relationships, but the delivery, there's your security more than anything. Um, but um, anyway. Really good. Really good. And it's, it's been a pleasure. I just wondered if you could uh, um, let people know how they can get hold of you. Yeah, sure. The easiest way to get hold of me is just to go into LinkedIn and put in Ken Gorman. So no one has to memorize along. You're, you're more than welcome to, um, yeah, that's the easiest way. We have a really long email address. So Ken Gorman, G-O-R-M-A-N, you won't miss it because um, it'll say uh, business sales all over it. And uh, LinkedIn and just message me. And um, I'm happy to have a call with anybody that's interested in talking about um, business valuation or how the process works or, you know, we're here to help. That's what we do. So thank you, Ken. That's great. Well, you've been listening to the Property Developers and Investors podcast. Andrew Green here from the Agro Academy. And my very special guest, Mr. Ken Gorman. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for listening to this episode. And if you would like more inspiration, why not join our Facebook group, Property Developers and Investors, or visit our website, www.equaacademy.co.uk.